Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning and welcome and thank you for continuing with us today in our service. My name is Pastor Tim Sridharan. Thank you, Ryan, for our reading of scripture. And before we dive into this text, let me just open us in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, come and continue to lead our time of worship. Praise be to you that we can worship and glorify your name. And as we wrestle with the word of God, help us to see what your word is calling us to and help us to be people who are faithful to your call upon our life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our society loves the phrase or the thinking, nothing is impossible. The sky is the limit. And that's good because it's helped us overcome and accomplish amazing feats. We're able to cure illnesses. We're able to, you know, we're preparing to travel to space. And my favorite, which is much needed if you know me, there are self-driving cars there on the road. Because if you've ever seen me drive, you know that a machine can drive much better than me. Yet, if we're honest, there are, we love this idea that nothing is impossible. But there, if we're honest, there are things that no matter what level of positive thinking or hard work we have, are, are difficult to overcome. Like if you look at my body type and my age, you know, my dream to be an NFL linebacker is probably not going to happen. I learned quickly in high school that biology and physics would not be something that my future would hold. And today, as we're wrestling with this passage in Luke 17, we come to a text where Jesus calls his disciples to do something impossible. And as we unpack this together, we will see that Jesus also gives us and his disciples the key of how he, he will help them do what seems to be impossible. So if you have your Bible, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. What we're going to do is just work our way a verse or two at a time and explore what the text says. Yet before we jump into that, let's just take a quick overview of the 10 verses themselves. In the first four verses, we have three seemingly impossible tasks. Jesus calls his disciples, uh, don't cause others to stumble, uh, rebuke others of their sin, and forgive others when they sin against you. And the context behind this is that he is speaking to a Christian community, to believers as they interact with each other. And if you don't think these tasks are impossible, I'll tell you in a little while we'll explore why I think they're next to impossible to do in our own strength. And the apostles, upon hearing Jesus' words, cry out, Lord, increase our faith. Basically saying, wow, we don't have the ability to do this. And then to end the text, Jesus tells a final story. And when God Basically saying, when God gives you the strength to do what I have called you to, just remember that you did it only because he empowered you to do it. Simply put, Christ gives us the strength to follow his way. So let's open up and let's read the first two verses in Luke chapter 17. Verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Things that cause people to stumble, uh, stumbling blocks or temptations for sin, 
they're going to come. They can't be avoided in one sense. And that's not the main point. So what is? But woe to the one who they come through. It would be better for this person to have a millstone tied around their neck and drowned in the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. I mean, as someone who can't swim, this is a terrifying way to die. That what Jesus is saying, it would be better for you to die a horrible death than to cause one of these little ones, these new, new Christians, young Christians in their faith, to stumble or fall into sin. I mean, when I hear this as a pastor and as someone who teaches God's word, it scares me. And obviously, it can't mean something small. One commentary put it well. Jesus has the most destructive situations in mind. These are the things that would cause someone to fall away from the faith. This would be the things that would cause them to fall into deep patterns of sin and destroy uh, their walk with God. Yet a little hint is in the start of the next verse, verse 3. And Jesus says, so watch yourselves. Very important words. Remember, the context here is about Christian community and how Christians are called, as the summary of the law goes, to love God and love others. The call here to, to not cause others to stumble or fall into sin is a call to think about our faith, not just as our relationship between us and God, but how we interact with our Christian brothers and sisters as well. It's a call not to only think about our life, but to think about how we are called to serve others. As a Christian community, one of the joys and the biggest challenges is that we love to just be together, uh, love each other, care for one another, serve each other. But one of the realities is, is that we're broken people. We have trouble loving. We have to learn how to forgive. Yet there is such a joy that God has designed it this way so that we can serve one another. For those who don't know if you're a Christian or are still exploring what Christianity is about, I just invite you. Here's the amazing thing. We need one another. So feel free in our show notes to click, uh, click there and follow to the link that says Get Connected. And you can uh, fill out one of the forms there or join a small group or just even sign up to join us in prayer. Being a part of this Christian community is a place where we learn more about who God is, how to love him, and how to love others. Now, if the first challenge that Jesus gave to not cause others to stumble is tough, Jesus continues to raise the bar in verse 3 and 4. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. That's crazy. You must forgive them. Remember, the context here is brothers and sisters of Christ, Christians together, and how they serve one another. For those who wrong us, the call here is to not sit back and wait for them to fix the wrong. And I know that might sound crazy, but remember, this is what Jesus is calling his followers to do, to love God and love one another. Now, the reality is if my spouse or my friend, a coworker or a boss hurts me, I can stew on this or I can go and talk to them with a loving spirit. If I sit on it, I've kind of made a couple choices. I've made a choice that this relationship 
isn't that worth it to me and I'm not willing to go the extra mile to reconcile it. But in all honesty, I don't know about you, but for myself, when I sit on something someone else has done to me and not talk to them, it destroys my soul from the inside out. I become bitter. I become angry. And not only do, does that relationship start to distance, I become a person who is just angry inside, unable to forgive. As I was preparing this, I think one of the humbling realizations I had as I was wrestling and thinking and praying through this text is that I've hurt many people with my careless words and actions. Sometimes I haven't even known I've done that to other people until they've actually brought it up with me. And in that moment where they have talked to me about how I've hurt them or embarrassed them, I feel shame. I feel sadness. I feel an anger at myself. Like, how could I have done this to someone else? But I also have this great sense of thankfulness because at least I've been given an opportunity to right a wrong and admit a mistake by asking for forgiveness. The words in Luke 17 reflect Jesus' words in Matthew 18, where he says, if a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That's the starting point. Matthew kind of lays out a pattern of how we deal uh, with uh, forgiveness in the context of a community. But the first step is to go to the person one-on-one. That's the starting point. Not gossiping to others, not uh, venting on social media, not being passive-aggressive, but to talk to them. Now, rebuking and warning people of their sin, it's never easy. It's not a fun thing to do. But it's an overflow of the gospel, of a command to love God and love others. The same kind of goes for forgiveness. And the whole notion of forgiveness is such a challenge. I find it such a difficult thing to do sometimes. Now just think for a second. Think about the person in your life who's hard to forgive. Maybe that's a boss, a friend, a coworker, your neighbor. Maybe awkwardly, it's the person sitting in the room with you right now. Sorry to make your Sunday morning a little awkward. What makes it hard to forgive them? I think one of the challenges is that sometimes I hate, how could they keep doing this to me? I sometimes get mad at the idea, like, do they even care about me? Are they just, like, do they realize how much hurt and pain that they cause me? Sometimes when people do things over and over again, it's really hard to let that go and forgive others. Yet crazy is this call and this command of Jesus to forgive seven times. Now, a few things about this passage. I believe, I believe it's assuming an authentic ask for forgiveness. And I think the number seven is more figurative. It doesn't mean that like, you know, after seven times is up, then you're free not to forgive. Some, someone asks you for forgiveness and you're like, well... That's the fifth time today I forgive you, but that's it. You've got two more left there to go. No, seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. I think this is a call, a command, and it says in the Word of God, you must forgive them. It's a call to forgive like Christ has forgiven us. In the Bible, the one story that brings the whole story of scriptures together is the simple one that God created the world 
yet he created humankind in his image. Yet when we chose to go and do our own thing, which is what the Bible calls sin, we were eternally separated from God. A holy and perfect God and sinful, broken humankind. Yet God, in his great mercy, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to bear the consequence of our sin so that through his death and resurrection, we can be restored and reconciled to the God of the universe. The story of the Bible is one that before we even look toward God, he sent his son to die for us. Before we could love him, he loved us. Forgiveness is a challenge. This is a hard teaching. Yet, remember that teaching in the book of Luke chapter 7. Jesus is telling uh, a parable to a bunch of people and he says, there's a man with fit who owed 50 denarii and one who owed 500 and they both were unable to pay it. Yet, when their debts were wiped, Jesus asked the question, who is going to love more? And his disciples have a discussion and at the end Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And implying, whoever has been forgiven a lot loves a lot. What motivates me to forgive others when they continually hurt me over and over again, when it becomes so hard to love and care for them, is to remember that before I could even love God, God loved me and sent his son to die on the cross. My sin, my brokenness is so deep, yet I'm so thankful for Christ that he has died to forgive me of my sins for all the anger, the bitterness in my soul, the lust, the rage, the indifference to the things of this world. I praise him and thank him for what he has done. I can forgive others because Christ has forgiven me. Now, just a couple notes on forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean you need to immediately and fully embrace or trust the person there. We can forgive, but there's sometimes wisdom, especially in, in regards to the mismanagement of money or patterns of abuse, that we don't just give our trust back to that person. Another challenge I find in forgiveness is forgiveness also doesn't need to be something I do when I feel it. I think if I'm honest, if I, if I felt like I rarely feel like forgiving people, yet when I remember what Christ has done on the cross, my heart warms to the power uh, and the joy that he has given me to forgive others through him. The whole idea that as a Christian community, we love God and love others by rebuking and by forgiving and not causing others to stumble is no simple task. And you can see this on the, in the words of the disciples in their response in verse five and six. The apostles said to the Lord, ah, oh, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. The disciples are overwhelmed, and they realize it's impossible by human strength not to cause others to stumble, to rebuke when others sin, and to forgive when others continually hurt sin against them. So they cry out for what? An increase of faith. Yet look at the response of Jesus. If you had faith, what, the size of a mustard seed, which is one of the smallest plant uh, growing seeds, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. 
Often I assume that if I can't fulfill a requirement or something about Christ's teachings, it's because I lack faith. I feel that often if I just like well up faith or try harder, like, Lord, give me more faith. I need to lean into you that God will give me the ability to like, you know, like have a bigger or greater faith. Yet Jesus says what? If you have faith as microscopic as a mustard seed, you can do the impossible. I I don't know about you, but I have never seen someone with great faith rip a tree out of the ground and throw it into the ocean. So the amount of faith really isn't the issue here. So what is Jesus saying? Daryl Bach writes, the issue isn't the amount of faith, but its presence. And Alistair Begg helps make this point clear. The point isn't that you need a big faith, but faith in the area where you lack faith. Let me read that again. The point isn't that you need a big faith, but faith in the area where you lack faith. Knowing that it is through Christ's power that we as a Christian community can forgive, rebuke, and not cause others to stumble. Only then can we ask ourselves these questions. Am I leaning into Jesus to give me wisdom not to cause others to stumble? Am I thinking about what others need and what will build them up in their faith? Am I willing and love to point out the sin in the life of a brother or sister in Christ? Am I trusting God to give me the boldness and the gentleness to care for my siblings in the faith? Am I a person who forgives others? even when they keep sinning against me? Is my heart growing cold toward them? Or am I growing deeper in my understanding of what Jesus did on the cross for me? Discipleship is hard. Following Jesus is impossible on our own strength. That's why the disciples respond with that great, help us, Lord, increase our faith. But praise be to God that he sent his son Jesus to die for us and gave us his Holy Spirit. We are only able to love God and love others when we continue to trust and rest in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read the last four verses which serve as a warning and a word of encouragement. There are going to be three rhetorical questions that Jesus asks and the answers to each are no, yes, and no. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? No. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Yes. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Or better put, we have only done what we ought to have done. I know we're talking about slavery and not saying thank you, but in the context of 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, the expectation was when you did a favor for someone that you could call upon them to help you out at a later date. And Jesus is giving a, a beautiful word of warning. Hey, listen. You don't have the ability to rebuke, to forgive, and not cause others to stumble in your own strength. Yet when you lean into me and I give you the power to do it, 
don't act all snarky or holier than thou and look down on others. Be humble. Remember that you are servants who are able to rebuke, forgive, and not cause others to stumble because my spirit is working in you. In Luke 15, from a few weeks ago, we have the parable of the younger lost son. And we studied that. We saw the older son who was with the father the entire time, often seen as kind of representing the Pharisees in that passage, who had access to the father and had everything that they need, would complain that they didn't receive any special treatment or a calf sacrificed on their behalf. They were always looking for more from the father, as if they, what they did for the father was a way so they could earn favors from the father in the future. The warning in this passage is really clear. When you're able to do what is seemingly impossible to do, don't give credit to yourself. Recognize that it is Christ working in you through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to love others, rebuke others, and not cause others to stumble. And here's the beautiful thing. As a Christian community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are able to love and serve one another, when we are able to admit our wrongs, when we are able to forgive, when we are able to care for one another and not just think about ourselves, but about what others need, we are such a beautiful light to this world. And it's such a beautiful place that others will want to be a part of as well. As a church, we want to be a people who are gathered together, worshiping God. And when we follow this call of discipleship, which is impossible. Yet when we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ gives us the strength to follow his way so that the world may be changed for his glory. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.